This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The title of my message is Entering into Promise, Run to Win, Persevere to Finish, and Make Good Preparations. All right, that's what I'm going to be sharing on uh, this afternoon. Run to win, persevere to finish, and make good preparations. You see, it's going to take faith to enter into promise. We've already heard that today. But I also want to tell you, make no mistake, entering into promise is not for the faint of heart. Entering into promise requires an attitude and a determined mindset. Why is that? Well, we know from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the scripture says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We've heard that this morning. I want to just give you a little bit of understanding on that. God does not respond to your needs. Just because you have a financial need, a healing need, God does not respond to your needs. He responds to your faith. So please don't pray, God, I have a financial need. God can't hear that prayer. You need to have a seed and you need to sow it in faith and ask God to watch over his word and make that promise become fulfilled in your life. God does not respond to your needs. He responds to your faith. Hebrews 4 and verse 2, we've heard this scripture this morning. It spoke about those who did not enter the promised land because they had the gospel preached to them just as we have had. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. All right? So we heard this morning that faith is a key to entering into the promise. Now God wants us to win the race that is set before us. He wants you and I to overcome. The book of Revelation, in the first chapters there, it always talks about to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. Seven times. To him who overcomes. God is expecting you and I to overcome. Now, if you haven't overcome anything, you can't be an overcomer. That means you're going to have to face some sort of trial, some sort of adversity in life to overcome. All right? This is the attitude we need to be able to enter into the promise. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 tells us, let us run with perseverance now, if you're still living in Zimbabwe you must be a perseverer that I know I know that all right so you're, you're on the right track already all right you must run with perseverance the race marked out for us let our fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith all right it's about faith so God wants you and I to succeed to overcome as I mentioned, the book of Revelations talks about overcomers. He wants us to persevere and to finish strong. Now God also wants you and I to make good preparations in life so that we are empowered and well-equipped for this life. Now, we've heard this morning people say, oh, God blessed them. You've heard that? You've heard that other people blessing other people? Genesis 1 verse 28 says, God blessed them. Talking about Adam and Eve, it says, and then he commanded them, be fruitful Increase rule. Now the word bless, I mean, you know what it actually means. Bless means empowered 
to prosper. That's what blessed means. So if somebody's going to bless you, they can bless you financially and say, this is a financial thing to bless you so that you can prosper and succeed. Somebody may uh, bless you with a meal. All right? Because they can empower you to go on for the rest of the day. That's what blessed means. It's empowering you to prosper. That's what God said at the beginning. He wants to empower us to prosper. That's what blessed means. All right? Let's carry on. Now, you and I must take responsibility for our own lives. Our destiny is in our own hands. We know Pastor Bonnie tells us our response determines our destiny. Now, we've been given dominion according to Genesis 1 and verse 26. Have dominion, be fruitful, but we must take responsibility for our own lives and the consequences for the paths we choose to walk along. I mean, you know, decisions, every decision has a financial consequence. Never mind, that's something that somebody once said. Decisions affect the pathways that we walk on. Sometimes you can't get back to uh, where you went. I remember one time we were traveling and Pastor Tom sent a team down to South Africa and one of the guys said, oh, I know where we're going. I'll drive this section. As we were driving, we realized we were supposed to be on that road there. It took us 70 kilometers to turn around to come back to where we should have been. He took the wrong road. Those are sometimes the consequences of the choices we make in life. So make wise decisions. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Now, as we take responsibility and we're entering into promise, it doesn't mean that we're going to find happiness. Many people think the end goal is happiness. I'm sorry to disappoint you, it is not. Many parents think the goal of their raising a family is that their children are happy. All right? They think it's all about happiness. It's not about happiness, it's about living a fulfilled life in Christ. It's not about happiness. You might find happiness along the way, that's fine. But that's not the end goal, all right? So many people think happiness is the end goal. It's not. It's finding fulfillment in God. Jesus said this in John 17 and verse 3. He said, now this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life begins the day you meet Jesus. It doesn't begin the day you die. Many people think it's, you're suddenly going to, you know, eternal life begins on the day you die. No, 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 no. It begins the day that you became born again. Because that's the time you begin to know God. That's what Jesus said in his prayer here. He said, eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what eternal life is about. Getting to know God. You've got a head start. All right, you're getting to know God now. So, we must run the race set before us. We must run to win. Now, cognitive psychologists have taught us, uh, they've discovered that what we think determines what we say, and what we say determines what we do. What does that all mean? Well, if you go to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, it's in the Bible. God explains it here. He speaks to Joshua and he says, Keep this book of the Lord, the law, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So what do we see here? We see that 
What you think affects what you say and what you do. All right, that's the pattern. Psychologists have learned today, but it's already in the scriptures. So it's always important to line up your thinking with what you say, with what you do. That means you have integrity. Now, the word integrity comes from the the mathematical word integer, which means one. You are one in what you think, in what you say, and in what you do. I've met people that are all mixed up. They can't say what they do. They do something else that they think. God wants us to walk in unity in ourselves so we have integrity. That's where the word industry comes from. So to help me, for example, one of the things I do, if you've ever heard a joke and you want to really remember it because it was funny and you want to tell somebody else, you want to remember it, the best thing to do is find somebody in your immediate circumstance and tell them that, that joke, that story then you'll remember it. If you don't, I guarantee you'll forget it. That's what happens. We just don't remember those kind of things. They're not necessarily important, but you may thought this would, this would amuse somebody if I could mention that. I've learned also as, as, a, as a tennis player, often I'd play matches, and they, the person on the other side, we'd start a match, and I'd say, what's your name? And as soon as he tells me his name, so he says, Richard, I said, Richard, are you ready? I use his name so that I remember it. Otherwise, I found myself before playing a whole match. I said, what's this guy's name again? What's his name? I forget. So you need to train yourself to think, to say, and to do the same thing. I mean, now, why do we need to do that? God encourages us to meditate on his word. What, do, what are you going to receive from the word of God? You're going to receive wisdom. But at the same time, you receive wisdom. God says that, it doesn't say that God will give you success. The scripture says you will be successful in your endeavors. You will make your way successful. Not God will make your way. Sometimes we, change, we mix up the scriptures. We don't understand them very well. We think God's going to make me successful. No, he's not. You need to read the scripture. It says you will make your way successful. God's going to give you his word to give you wisdom. And then you will make your way successful. Sometimes you want to give God responsibilities that we're supposed to have. And sometimes we pray things that we're supposed to be doing, not God. So we need to know where responsibility rests. It's important that we understand that. So we see in Joshua, we need to speak with our mouths, think the same, and carefully do the things that are written in God's word. Then we will be successful. Now, how many of you have heard the term self-talk? Well, self-talk is the conversation we have in our minds. Now, self-talk is usually three times the speed of your normal speaking. All right? Three times. You're thinking three times quicker than you can speak. And what's happening? Well, when you're talking to yourself, you're having a conversation. You're running a commentary about what's happening around you. You're even making judgments about others and yourselves. You may have come in here today and said, ooh, look at that dress. You're having a conversation with yourself. You're thinking the whole time. So it's very important what we think and say to ourselves. Amen? Now, the next thing is, are we seeing problems or are we seeing opportunities? 
at one time when I was working in the ministry here, I had the corner office, the one with the two windows on the far side of the office block there. And my desk faced the door. And people would come in and see me and go out. And, and I suddenly realized that all the problems in the ministry were coming through that door. And I was facing that door. Do you know how depressing that was every day? So I made a decision. I said, I can change this. I turned my desk to look out to the window and see the green grass. And then when the people came in, they came from the side. And so it didn't look like problems coming to visit me every day. Sometimes we need to change our perspective, the way we view things. I remember our family won the opportunity. We went to Paris Disneyland long ago. And they told us, what time would you like to come for breakfast? I said, why don't you give a time? They said, no, we need to know what time you're coming. So we went there. Every 10 minutes, there was a whole new crowd of people coming in. And when I arrived the first day, I sat there and I saw all these people. And I thought, I have to eat quickly because they're all coming. They want my seat. I didn't enjoy my breakfast. So the next day, I turned the other way. So I couldn't see them. And I enjoyed my breakfast. I didn't have to rush. I didn't feel I was being chased. Sometimes we need to change our perspective. Amen. You see, we cannot win unless we're thinking of winning. You see, we have to see ourselves as winners. We have to see ourselves as winning, as overcoming. Um, I'm a tennis player, and some of my illustrations are that way inclined. Andre Agassi, one of the, uh, one of a well-known champion, he said this, his, most of his tennis matches were won or lost in his afternoon shower before the evening match. They weren't won on the court. They were won when he was preparing to go into battle, preparing to go and play. He was getting his mind set. How am I going to deal with this? What's my strategy? How am I going to? He says most of the matches were won when he was showering, not when he was on the court. That's preparation. Many athletes, they'll tell you, they'll envision what they're going to do. And we need to do the same. God's given us an ability to envision what we're going to do, what we're going to plan, what we're going to see, what we're going to do. And in order to enter the promise, that's what we need to do. We need to be able to imagine and then go and accomplish. We must take responsibility. We must do our part so that God can do his part. God's not going to take up our responsibilities. You see, our negative thinking is our greatest enemy. We read the, uh, this morning about the giants in the land, in the promised land. Well, the biggest giants you and I are going to face are the ones up here. They're not going to be in the physical form. You're going to see a big person in front of you. They're going to be here. And you must overcome them. The only way you can do that is by doing so in faith. Taking God's promises believing them, and then acting on them. But you have to get your mind right. You have to get your mind right. If you can't get your mind right, you're not going to be able to succeed. You're not going to be able to overcome. You won't be able to enter the promise. As Pastor Taz said this morning, you'll have wilderness mentality. God doesn't want us to have a wilderness mentality. He wants us to have promised land mentality. You see, we may think that we can quote or read a scripture and because we're Christians, we go to church, that life will be easy for us. I'm sorry, it doesn't get easy for us, just because we're Christians. 
we're going to face challenges, trials, tribulations. We learned from um, uh, earlier this, this, this morning that um, trials and tribulations are part of the promise, part of the promises of God. So we don't need to be deceived. We don't need to be religious or naive. We cannot blame God, the devil, or the church for any failures in our lives. We've got to recognize that was a bad choice. Often it's the choices in our lives that, that was a bad choice. That's why we've got to learn to get God's wisdom on the situation, find out what's going on, and then make decisions. Now, you and I have the locus of control or the power to determine our pathway in life. Unless we choose to give it away. Now, what is the locus of control? I'm sure Pastor Tom has mentioned this before. It has to do with the power in our hands to do. We can't, there's certain things you and I can't control. But there are some things that you and I can control. All right? Romans 8 verse 28 says that all things, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I've, sometimes people have the saying, they say, God's in control. I want you to know that's not true. God reigns. God has, uh, is Lord of the universe. But he is not in control. Why? Because you and I have a free will. You and I can make choices. So the fact that you're today, I believe you're here today because you choose Jesus every day. That's what it takes. It takes you and I to choose Jesus every day. That's what it is about living a, a, a life in faith towards God. We need to make choices. And so Scripture doesn't say God is in control and will make things happen for us. It says he works all things for our good. Now God has given us his promises and he's given us his kingdom principles to succeed in life. We need to know what those principles are so that we can succeed. So we need to contest, we need to act, and then God can come alongside us and aid us in our endeavors as we seek to do the things of the kingdom, whatever that may be. You see, we have a free will. We choose every day. And as Pastor Tom mentioned on uh, Wednesday evening, he said, God uses our choices and our weaknesses to accomplish his purposes. He uses our choices and our weaknesses. Do you know that the most three most powerful men in the Bible were all murderers? Did you know that? Moses. Didn't he murder somebody? He killed an Egyptian. David. He killed Uriah. Sent him onto the front lines to get killed. He gave the orders. And Paul. All three of them killed people. So nobody's perfect except Jesus. Anybody perfect? I haven't met you yet. I'd like to meet you after the, after the session. None of us are perfect. But God, if God can use three murderers, the most powerful, some of the most powerful prophets in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament, because he works on their hearts. And God's able to use people that will yield to him. Amen. Now, God may well see things for our good, and we may not agree with him. Often we define good as being in our own interests. 
and evil as not being in our interests. That's what happens when we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you were to come stand, if somebody came and stand next to me here today, I'd say, I think that new law they've passed in the, in the country, I think that's good because it's going to benefit me. The guy next to me says, no, that's bad. It's not going to benefit me. Now, who's right? No, no, no. See, that's why we can't eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We must eat out of the tree of life. Otherwise, you see, the tree of good and evil is about judgment. People who make judgments about good and evil are sitting in judgment. Now, I know who the judge is. The judge is God, not you and me. But sometimes people want to sit in the seat of judgment and decide what is good and evil. God hasn't called us to do that. That's what the world does. It judges. God hasn't called us to enter into promise through judgment. So what we're really seeking when we say, oh, we want something to be good, sometimes it's our own comfort, our own ease, and our own happiness. And God doesn't promise that. He promises us peace. He promises us fulfillment in Christ. He also promises us trials, but not ease and comfort. Many people just want to make things easier, more comfortable. The first thing you probably have to do is leave Zimbabwe to do that. Sorry, I mean, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I know, it's a challenge, I realize. Fully I realize that. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, the goodness and glory that God wants you and I to experience has to do with these promises. And through his promises, we participate in the divine life of God. It's through his promises. So first of all, you have to know what his promises are. You have to know what his promises are. Once you know what his promises are, then you can act upon them. All right? That's why we need to have an understanding and a knowledge of the word of God. That's important. Because if we do that, we'll participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires if we meet those conditions. Now, the principles of God are given to us so that we might be successful in life. God often says in the promises, if you do such and such, I will do such and such. Ever read any scriptures like that? Let me give you one here. Draw near to God. This is James 4 verse 8. And then what does he say? Draw near to God. And I'll draw near to you. You know, so you have to do something first. Then God will do something after that, right? Let me give you another one. That was in James 4, 8. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3. God says, call unto me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. What did he say first? Call unto me. That's Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. That's God's phone number, 333. Okay, just like we know, 4321, I'm giving you another number. 333, three, three. that's God's number. That's the hotline. Call unto God, and I will, but you have to call. You don't call, you won't answer. All right, next one, what do we got here? James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, ask for wisdom. God says, he'll give us wisdom freely, but we have to ask for it. If you don't ask, you won't get it. That's how the promises of God work. We do our part, we do something first, and then God does his part. All right? Now, I'm going to have a look at a scripture in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. This is when Joshua, they've just crossed into the promised land, and they're going to take on the city of Jericho. 
Let me read the scripture. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for, your, for our enemies? And what, did the, what, did, what was the response? Neither. He replied, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell on his face to the ground and reverenced and asked him, What is the message does uh, my Lord have for his servant? And they go on. What, what I noticed there is, Sometimes we think God is on our side because we're a Christian. That's not true. That's a lie. If we want to be want God on our side, we better get on his side. It doesn't work the other way around. We have to align our lives with God so that we can be on his side, not the other way around. I used to watch those old war movies. And you've got the one, the one country on this side, and they're all praying to God. And you've got the other country on this side, they're all praying to God. I was thinking, who's right? Who's going to win the way? No. We need to line up with God's word. Get on his side. Once we do that, then God will come to our aid. But it won't happen just because we think we're right. So you better get in line with God. Otherwise, you're going to meet the army, the commander of the army of the Lord, and he's going to go to battle whether you're on his side or not. You see, in order to receive the promises of God, we have to exercise our faith. We have to do something. We have to pray, show up for battle, study, play the game, do the training, whatever it takes. We have to do our part. Then God can do his part. You see, we don't like discipline. How many of you like discipline? Not many. All right? But we want the benefits of discipline. I remember I was at university and... uh, I was studying commercial law. And after every uh, lecture that we had, I would go to another room and I would write up study notes of what I just had in the lecture. I had my notes that I took in the lecture and then I, took, I made my own study notes. I get out the book. It had 800 pages in it. It was a big book. And so I'd study the book and I'd make notes. And when it came to the time to write the exams, I had people knocking on my door. They were prepared to buy my notes. I said, no, no, no. I've been disciplined. You've been undisciplined. I'm going to pass the exam. You're going to fail because you have not made good preparations. I have. I passed the exam. Others didn't. All right? Good preparations, important. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You see, if you're lazy, you procrastinate, you're undisciplined, you lack principle and character, then these things are going to hinder you and you're going to fall short of entering into the promise. Proverbs 4 verse 33 says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. God wants us to be diligent. Okay, you'll quote, if you have a look at Proverbs, it talks about the ants and how diligent they are in preparing for winter. There are many scriptures about diligence. God wants us to make good preparations in life. You see, sometimes our sympathy towards sin is also a hindrance in our lives that we must deal with. 
Genesis 4 and verse 26, God says this. He says, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God is not going to do that for you. You have to take responsibility for your own choices in life. Sin is a choice. Just as choosing Jesus is a choice. These are choices in life. We must take responsibility for that. God's going to hold us accountable for that. All right? So we need to know that we need to run to win. Then we need to persevere and to finish strong. When we walk with God, we relate with Him by taking responsibility, as I've already mentioned. If you want to shift from average to above average, it's going to cost you something more. If you're going to stay, if you want to be average, that's fine. But if you want to do more than average, it's going to cost you something more. It'll take faith, prayer, and even a financial seed to make that happen. To achieve something higher, it's going to be uh, uh, to a greater level, it's going to cost you something. As I mentioned, I'm a keen tennis fan, and I was recently came across one of the latest players on the, on the circuit. He went to the uh, Rafael Nadal Academy, and he's in the top 10 today. But he went to the academy, and he just wanted to get some training, get some, you know, find out some more thing from a great champion. And so he says all he did was he went there, and the first day after training, he just went to his place where he was staying, and he collapsed on the sofa. He couldn't get up till the next morning. He had a shower, went back for the second session. He didn't know how grueling and how tough it took to be a top sports contender. It doesn't just come by having talent. Discipline's required. A lot of discipline is required. You can't be a top professional. You've got to do something more. If you're going to be in business and you want to be above the average, you want to stand out, it's going to cost you more. You can't be average and pay the same price as everybody else. You've got to do something more. All right? We need to understand that. That's just the truth. See, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18 says this. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his, cov- his covenant. The scripture does not say God will give you wealth. Many people read that. They think, oh, God's going to give me wealth. I'm waiting for it to come. What's the lottery number? How am I going to get this money? When's it coming into my account? You look at your bank account every day. Is there any extra money in there? No, no, no. God gives us the ability to create wealth. I love that story about the, the cow that fell off the cliff. They had, to, they had to get some extra skills. They had to learn to do other things so they could prosper more. God will prosper us. He's given us the ability. He doesn't just say he has wealth. God's not going around handing out $100 bills. He says, do something to What can you do to get there? You see, the, today, the bigger the problems you can solve, the more money you'll be, you'll be able to earn. If you can solve big problems, you can earn more money. You see, we must base our, life, our lives on principles, not feelings. We must base our lives on convictions, not on preferences. What are your life principles concerning time? How do you value your time? How do you value other people's time? Do you honor those who are late? What do you do? I, had, I had came across something. I was in the UK and they mentioned one of the airports. It says they have 100 passengers arrive 
late for a flight every day. Hoo-hoo! 100 passengers a day. Now, at a bigger airport, I'm sure the, the number's bigger. But obviously, maybe there was a traffic jam. Things, but you've got to prepare for these things. Expect the traffic jam. Expect the problem on the way. Make preparations. Check the route if you can. Is, is there anything happening in that way? We need, to make, we need to be able to carefully understand that. Money. How do we spend it? How do we manage it? Our time, our money, and our talent. Have we developed our talents? Are we prepared to serve others with our talent? It's important that we do. You see, Matthew 7, verse 24 and through 27 speaks about when the storms come in life. It doesn't say if they will come. They're coming. They are definitely coming. They're not going to stop if they're coming. It's they will come. Are you ready for that? I remember I had a problem. We first arrived in the UK and I went to a car park and uh, we, were, we went to the car park and we got back. And then in the post, I received a fine. Saying, I said, I didn't see any police. I didn't see anybody looking there. They had cameras. Everything's done by a camera. So I saw this. I got this fine. I thought, oh, goodness me. What, what can I do? So I appealed. I wrote a letter of appeal. They said, sorry, not good enough. You, no excuse. You've got to pay the fine. So I paid the fine. And you know what happened? I developed a fear of going to that car park. I would avoid it. I, 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 I would go to another place, park somewhere else. I'd keep avoiding that park. Now, I, I learned that it was a two-hour car park. We were there for three and a half hours or something, so I understand why I got fined. I understood the problem. But I avoided the car park. I said, this is fear. I said, this is no good. So what I did then is I decided, you know what, I'm going to overcome this fear. So I would drive in and I'd wave. I don't know if the camera could see me. It could see my number plate, but I would wave. I'd smile, look, take a picture. And I'd go back to that car park. But if I hadn't dealt with that, I wouldn't be going there today. We've got to overcome these kind of things in our lives. We've got to overcome them. We can't just remain in fear. We've got to identify it and say, oh, this is wrong. This is not right. And overcome these things. Amen. Pastor Taz, why don't you come and join me? You got enough room to do it here? Now, how many of you know what sumo wrestling is? The big Japanese guys, they dress up like this, and they put in like a big nappy. Uh, You know what sumo wrestling is? That's what sumo wrestling is. So I'm going to have some sumo wrestling with Pastor Tazia. But let me get ready first. Now, Pastor Tazia, let's do some sumo wrestling here.
Thank you, Pastor Tess, for letting me win. Now, the sumo wrestling is about pushing your opponent out of the ring. So, what is it to be in the ring? The ring represents the kingdom of God. Right thinking, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The enemy's goal is to get you out of the ring. That's his goal. He wants to push you out of the ring so that you get angry, fearful, and guilty. God wants you to stay in right thinking, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You must stay in the ring. If you want to enter the promises, stay in the ring. Amen? God wants us to stay in the ring. You see, the Romans 14 verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking, but right thinking, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, the kingdom of God is not a destination. It's a disposition, an attitude, or a beatitude towards the things of God. So to enter the promises, we must stay in the kingdom of God. Else, we'll become deceived, we'll no longer walk in the truth, and we'll fail to enter the promise. I trust that helps you today. I declare blessing on you. You're empowered to prosper with the knowledge you've received today. That I might inspire you to enter into the promises. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.